Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Your host, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to Hey Kids Comics, a new episode just for you. The pen, 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 penultimate episode, is that right? I think so. Is this the last one before we go into our trilogy of philosophical blockbusters? No, there's next week. Are you sure? No, next week is the third from final. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, sorry. All right, maybe it's pen, 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 Sean Penn. Chris Penn, pen, 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 (laughs) penultimate then, uh, as we count down. Mm -hmm. So what we've got to do, we've got to follow the Star Trek The Next Generation thing of having a bunch of crap ones. Yeah. And then ending it on a good one. So everyone remembers that it was good at the end, when in fact it wasn't really. The last six episodes before the finale were a bit crap. It sounds like a clever plan. (laughs) As long as your last episode's good, yeah, everyone forgives you. <laughs> Just make it better in comparison to the bad yeah. yeah, well, sometimes that's all it needs, isn't it? Yeah. It's like Revenge of the Sith is the best of the prequels. It's like how the first two Fantastic Four movies are now... <laughs> Considered not bad. Of, yeah. <laughs> I've said it before, I will say it again, the first 45 minutes of Rise of the Silver Surfer are not bad. And then Julian McMahon shows up as Doctor Doom. Yeah. And you can hear the toilet flush. <laughs> anyway, should we uh, should we do some stuff? Yeah, stuff. I think we should stuff and right. stuff and puff and stuff. You know, stuff. Yeah. Um, we should talk about some comics, but we'll do that later, after we've read a couple of emails. Because uh, emails, we need to get through the email section, don't we? We do. Because uh, I don't know what we're going to do about that. What are we going to do about all the people who email in on the last couple of shows? that then, then they'll never get their email read. Uh, yeah. It's very sad. Unless we have, like... No, we can't have an email show. Unless... Well, no, we, we can't even record the email section separately the day or two before it goes up, because you'll have gone. Yeah. You'll have left before those episodes are. Read the email separately and we record them separately and put them together. So it'll be one of those very disjointed... <laughs> well, you read one, I read one, and we just stitch it together. Yeah, I'll be Ryan Reynolds, you'll be Wesley Snipe. <laughs> It'll be be like, what's his name, when they film things and the other person's not even there. Yeah, yeah. And they just cut it together to make it look like they're in the same room together. Heat the podcast. (laughs) Alright, well our first email this night is from Chris Franklin. As it normally is. Mm -hmm. It's always a delight to hear from Chris. Host of Supermates with his missus Cindy. Right into the danger zone, which must be a danger girl. Email. Not a lot of people got in touch with that Danger Girl. It's very oh, disappointing. He emailed back to my uh, Top Gun episode I did on my own. <laughs> that Top Gun commentary you did, yeah. where you just sat and watched it and went, homoerotic subtext, <laughs> yay! Oddly comfortable watching. I feel oddly uncomfortable watching Top Gun. Those are some cool planes, but uh, too much beach volleyball. <laughs> There's a shower scenes. 
Seeing like someone had to hold up Tom Cruise playing the volleyball so he could reach them. <laughs> <laughs> he's standing on a box when he reaches <laughs> up to the basketball. Uh, anyway, yeah, Chris's email. Hello, Leylands. Hello, Christopher. I think you two should re-record your very first episode doing Sean Connery impersonations throughout. Oh, Superman's secret origin wasn't very good, was it, Miss Money Penny? Oh, Jim. <laughs> That wasn't Sean Connery, that was yeah. Miss Moneypenny. You said Miss Moneypenny and then looked at me. Yeah, well, like, like, I think he wants us to do both do Sean Connery. Miss Moneypenny played oh, by Sean Connery. I don't like the, the artwork by <laughs> Gary Frank, Miss Penny. It's not very good, is it? It everybody has them dead eyes. It's shocking. Positively shocking. Can yeah. you not do Sean Connery? I'm, I, I'm kind of on the spot here. Everybody okay. can do Sean Connery. I'll, I'll do okay. my, uh, my, my Highlander Sean Connery. <laughs> I'm Sean Connery. <laughs> I'm playing an Egyptian <laughs> Scotsman, whereas the Frenchman is playing a Scotsman. This makes no sense. But I don't care, because I'm being paid a lot of f- money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's that? That's, that was good, yeah. Your attack was no better than that of a clumsy child, Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> they put one of yours in the hospital. <laughs> we put two of theirs in the morgue. That's the Highlander way. Oh, I'm messing up my movies, Miss Money Penny. See, that's not as good as my Russian Red October Sean Connery. Go on, then. Oh, I'm Sean Connery. <laughs> so Russian, <laughs> Russian Sean Connery sounds like this. I'm Sean Connery. Yes. And Scottish Sean Connery sounds like I'm Sean Connery. And Egyptian Sean Connery sounds like I'm Sean Connery. Yeah. From the Keanu Reeves School of Acting. Whoa. Excellent. You're a cunning linguist. You're plenty O'Toole, named after your father, perhaps. Was that enough, Chris? Are you happy with that? <laughs> Chris continues, that would be the perfect send-off. I don't know, actually, having done it. Yeah. But it would be funny as hell. I never really read Danger Girl, but I can definitely appreciate Campbell's art style. He owns it, he works in a style extremely well, and it's very pleasing to the eye, especially when applied to an exaggerated female form. So are you two going to take the piss out of All-Star Batman and Robin for two weeks? I think that was pretty much what it became. Yeah. That wasn't what no, we... in, in, it, That's what it was, but it became us appreciating the thoughtful <laughs> subversiveness of it. Yes, yeah, so we appreciated the subtext <laughs> yeah. of the piece. We were, we, were, we were taken aback by the satirical nature of what had been dismissed by the Illuminata as a, <laughs> a, as a simple piece of comic book fluff. But we... In our infinite wisdom, we looked at it and we dug deep. We peeled back the layers of the work. We we got under the skin of Frank Miller. We really understood what he was trying to say with that epoch-making work. And what he was trying to say with it was, I'm the goddamn Batman! That is true. That's pretty much it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So although we didn't go into it planning to take the piss for two weeks, we actually planned on going into it and finding the good in there. Mm Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of good to find. There wasn't. Just a lot of <laughs> Batgirl's bullshit. Yes, yes, that's very true. So anyway, thanks, Chris. I hope you very much enjoyed two weeks' worth of taking the make out of All-Star Batman. <laughs> uh, Gabriel 
Jimenez is emailed in next. Greetings, Leyland. Given we're nearing the end of Hey Kids, fantastic and historic run. I like that. Are we going to go down in the history books? We're, we're going to go down in flames, one would imagine. Or is the Two True Freaks Network going to come up with a better show <laughs> so that history is written by the Victoring Podcast? I would imagine we will, will, we will go down as, as a, a mere footnote. <laughs> Podcasting history, and uh, it's been lost now. We wiped it. We had to make room for all the better shows. Either that, or Demanzo's lawyers suggested. Demanzo's lawyers suggested that we should be lost in a black hole. Now, see, the police have caught on to some of your moral. We, we found Sorry. out some of those funny words that you use. We found out what they actually mean. Yeah. <laughs> Demanzo's lawyers have done some fact checking. <laughs> and they're not terribly appreciative of our leader being referred to as felching little boys. <laughs> Demanzo does not teabag, ever. <laughs> anyway, should we if that future does not happen now. <laughs> Demanzo does not know what you are talking about when you refer to him as doing a Richard Gear. <laughs> and regardless of the allegations, he was in no way connected to that area. Doom has nothing to do with Demanzo. Doom would have nothing to do with Demanzo. Doom thinks Demanzo is pond scum. <laughs> Gabrielle continues, I figure I need to up my game in order to catch up and write to you in the last few times. You mentioned in a recent episode that you wouldn't mind still getting some emails. Were you serious? Is that still standing? What should one write about if it is applicable? Oh, it won't be easy going on without Hey Kids. You can still email after we've stopped doing the show if yeah, you want to. Tell us about what you've done that day. Yeah. <laughs> I've already said, Chris Franklin's already agreed to email in about fictional shows. Yeah, yeah. He's just going to make up episodes and pretend that we did them. And then he's going to email me. And I'm going to pretend that we did them as well and email him back. I, just, I, I can't wait for the kind of thing that say, I completely disagreed <laughs> with, with the way you read. I completely disagreed. Agreed with your reading of New Frontier Three. <laughs> new, oh, yeah. new Frontier Three is a new comic. It's not come out yet, right, okay. but it will come out, and we will cover it. So in that case, you can reply to our coverage of uh, Captain America White. Yes, although we will do that. Will we? We will. That will be a reunion movie. That implies that it's actually going to come out. It's three issues have been solicited. That's great. Three no. issues of, of <laughs> All-Star Batman and Robin have been solicited. That's very true. <laughs> and it is something that, that I considered as the words were falling from my mouth. <laughs> Maybe. That's oh, an email. Dark Knight Boy Wonder. Yeah. It hasn't actually been solicited, though, that's, has it? That's an email, though. Our coverage of, of Dark Knight Boy Wonder. <laughs> Our coverage of Dark Knight Boy Wonder was fantastic. I think so, too. <laughs> Gabriel continues, I love the idea behind the post-crisis episodes. With all the continuity reboots that are currently happening, it's good to take a time to analyse how things started out in the immediate aftermath of one of these events. I should say that this is my DCU, the post-crisis version. I didn't really get into comics until the mid-90s, so I wasn't there on the ground floor, but I must have blown people's minds that everything was different and things were going to be completely rebooted. At least that was the premise, as you guys pointed out. Not quite the full reboot when you leave one or a couple of characters' background in place. What you get after that is a murky history that leaves readers, me, a bit confused and annoyed. 
In general, I like how they treated Superman. I like that they got rid of Superboy, all the excessive silliness and variations of kryptonite, and especially that they both grounded and defined his power levels. When I think of Superman, it's Burns and Jürgen's version that I see, so even if that particular issue that you covered wasn't great, I think that in general the character benefited immensely from how he was reshaped. It's interesting that you, you raise that point, Gabriel. I was only thinking about this. As I was leafing through what we're going to cover next week... Right. No spoilers... Um, I was thinking about it was Burns Superman for better or worse it was John Burns Superman he did Superman he did action comics and Adventures of Superman was drawn by Jerry Ordway and it was generally considered Jerry Ordway was just doing the other Superman book right. and then when you look back at it now Jerry Ordway's art's better okay. in Superman than right. John Burns is John Burns is fine Ordway's does something I think Ordway's actually a better artist at that point right, okay. I really do I don't know I would have to go back and substantiate this claim with, with actual evidence yeah but look at just leafing through them when we did that show I was looking for one to pick and I had to actually email font of all knowledge Michael Bailey and say have we ever covered this <laughs> right because at this point I really don't remember do I yeah as evinced by the shows that we did in our top 10 comics where at the very last minute one had to be dropped because we'd already done it yeah <laughs> So, and he said, no, 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 you've done Adventures, you've done Superman, you've never done action comics. So that was like, all right, that works. But I was leafing through him, and I think Hardware's works better. Right, okay. So you may think of Burns, Superman for that era, and you're probably right to do so, but Jerry Hardware's stuff was, was of higher quality, I think. No, okay. Uh, I think you was for it, because I prefer Burn. Do you? Yeah. Do you not prefer Hardware? I like Hardware, but I think he's a bit of a stiffer Perez. See, I, no, I don't see any Perez in, in Ardworth's stuff. Right. Particularly to what we're going to cover next week, I think it's gorgeous. It's, it's because of reading Infinite Crisis, really. It's, um, he, Jim, does, it's, he, did, he inked Perez in that, didn't It's he? Jimenez, Perez, and Ardworth. Right. So it's all very... Those three artists are very similar in my head. Well, and Ardworth inked Perez in Crisis on Infinite Earths as well. Yeah. So that's prob- you're probably seeing a lot of that as well. All right, fair enough. Gabriel continues, As you say, Batman is a different matter. His continuity is both the simplest and most confusing. Andy has mentioned several times how it's easy to jump into a Batman storyline and have a general idea of who the main characters are and what the setup is. This applies to the post-crisis version, I think. However, if you consider timelines and try and place events as they happen, it can be confusing how everything that happened to Batman took place in a very limited amount of time. But then I think it's harder to get rid of chunks of Batman's story when there are so many momentous events and they form a uniform narrative that shape the current character. Regarding the issue you covered, I agree with one of your letter writers in that it is better to have the end of one Robin and the beginning of the next one done at a quick pace so as to get to the Jason Todd era going. At that rate, readers know what is up, they know what the overall purpose is, so it's easier to move ahead. Looking back, I don't have many or have read many issues with Jason being Robin, but since his failures of his character direct contributed to giving us Tim Drake, I'm all for him being part of the Bat narrative, though him being brought back continues to bug the hell out of me. Interesting side note about that. The animated series doesn't have Jason, but they still have Tim. Yeah, I like that. I did, because what was interesting in the animated version, they kind of gave Tim the similar background to Jason. Right. In that he was he was the product of a rogue element or crook. Whereas in the animated series, it was his dad, wasn't it? His mum was off the scene. Yeah. Whereas in Jason Todd's second origin, not his original origin, his mum was off. His dad was off the scene, and he's the person he thought that his mum was raising him. Yeah. But both of them came from a criminal background. Well, Jason's just been a mess, completely. Yes. And he's he's been 
uh, it, it was the crises that were because of it. But yeah, yeah exactly. Infinite Earths and Infinite Crisis. Yeah. So it's just, because he's such a mess, it's just better to just ignore him. In external media. Yeah. It is better to just skip over Jason Todd. Or do the Dark Knight Returns thing. Just say, yeah, Jason died. You don't really need to know how. Yeah, okay. He was a good soldier. He died. Let's move on. Because in Dark Knight continuity, there would never be a Tim Drake, would there? Because Dark Knight Returns... Well, Dark Knight Returns implies that he packed in being Batman after Jason died. Carrie Kelly was the next Robin. Right. Dark Knight Returns doesn't have Dick Grayson in it. Dark Knight Strikes Back, those of us that are fans of Dick Grayson, wish that he wasn't in it. Okay. When Batman decapitates him. Yeah. And then his head just starts talking. (laughs) Because it's the most crazy thing you've ever read. Until I'll start. And you know, I'm still kind of tempted by the new one. Okay, okay. Although Brian Azzarello... Maybe that'll be better for it. Yeah, possibly. You know, yeah, but Brian Azzarello thinks that Lex Luthor's the good guy. Uh, <laughs> from a certain point of view. Lex <laughs> <Like> Obi-Wan. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, finally Wonder Woman, says Gabriel. I have not written the issue you covered, nor the fact, nor in fact any of the Perez run. In general, I haven't experienced much of Wonder Woman's title in any iteration. Based on your review, it seems like I'm missing out, though. I hope to get a chance to read that run. There certainly seems to be more of an interesting take on the character than anything, character, than anything I've heard of recently from her. Brian Azzarello, speaking of... Mm-hmm. His Wonder Woman run gets talked up a lot, doesn't it? It does, and we only read the first issue. I haven't read any of it, that's what I was going to say, but it, it, it gets a lot of hype. If you are interested in Perez's Wonder Woman, a omnibus of the first 25 issues plus annual number one, which basically all the stuff Perez wrote and drew, is coming out from DC very soon. Right. And it's not horrendously priced. I think it's £30 on Amazon yeah. for 25 issues plus annual. And you'd, you'd kind of probably pay that in the back issue market for it. Yeah. But for that price, you get it in a nice big fat omnibus. So it's probably worth picking up the omnibus for that. Gabriel concludes with, The problem I have with massive continuity reboots is that it takes you out of the story. I find it hard to enjoy your story on its own merits when you have to stop and consider what continuity it's set in, which events happened or not, which version or origin or supporting characters one is dealing with. The other side is if you let the stories pile up, it creates such a complicated and tangled continuity for characters that make it reader unfriendly. X-Men much? These are part of the reasons I have stopped following current DC and Marvel comics. Not only do I find most continuities so convoluted, the rehashing of prior storylines is very annoying, and knowing that ultimately nothing will change much or everything will be undone makes it difficult for me to invest any attachment to any stories. I'd rather prefer independent storylines and limited stories. I like the ideas of characters who begin, change, and have an end. Enough rant, gotta go do some work. Talk to you later, y'all. Gabriel Jimenez. It's always nice to hear from Gabriel. Yeah, see, the thing with Batman, before the new 52 reboot, like I've said, as Gabriel mentioned in the email, you could just jump into Batman stories. You could read Hush, you could read No Man's Land. You could read Contagion and whatever, Road to No Man's Land and Legacy and... Nightfall and Night Quest and any number of other Batman stories and it all kind of just worked. Batman lends itself to having an episodic continuity, doesn't it? But he still does post-Flashpoint. Batman's one of the rare ones that are the really the really doing Dial H um, <laughs> post-Flashpoint um, titles that works regardless of its continuity. Right. And I think it's it's fresher than it had been years before. Are you still digging on Snyder and Capullo's Batman? I am. Because I've, I've been reading the new stuff, and I'm actually enjoying it a great deal. Yeah, it's it's a lot fresher after, and I'm a big fan of the run, but 
kind of Morrison on Batman for so long didn't help it at all. Mm -mm. In fact, it dragged it down so that it was a very confusing time with multiple titles and all that. So when Flashpoint happened, it was fresh. And the fact that Capullo and Snyder's run has just been Batman. Yeah. I think that's what's helped it. I honestly think that's why it's still top of the sales market. Yeah. You're getting an excellent Batman book every month, which it is. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's top of the peak in superhero titles. Still. A lot of people are really down on this new direction, and I don't get why. Because... I've just read issue 42. 42's here in front of me. I read it just the other day, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think, like you say, it's just another story in the run, but by sweeping the decks, yeah. they've given you a completely fresh take on Batman. because yeah. I was saying the other day that I really wish that whoever it is would just stay as whoever he is. Yeah. Avoiding spoilers. Yes, so it's it's. I think it's really good. I'm yeah. really enjoying it. I think they they knock it out of the park. We've said before. We think this run will go down as one of the edges, and I'm really quite enjoying it. But the fact that it's only been in Batman, yeah, I think that's why it's lending itself to the sales figures that it's getting. People only have to buy that one book, yeah. and I don't think in this current climate of crossovers and multiple Batman titles, I don't think you can underestimate how important that is to people like me you only have a limited amount of money to spend on comics yeah but they're aiming for the say if they release a hardback I mean a, a crossover they then collect it all in a single hardback and make even more money hmm that's where the women kind of I know but for the most part you've just been able to read Batman and follow it yeah. Even when it's crossed over, even when Death of the Family crossed over into other books, you didn't have to read those. No, the only time it's ever been a problem was with Eternal. Which we didn't read. We didn't, so then when it came back from zero year, suddenly it's completely different cast, mm. and things had happened that we hadn't read. But, see, Snyder did have some input to Eternal, exactly, didn't Exactly, yeah. So maybe we should have read it, but I wasn't buying a weekly comic, sorry DC. Yeah. I've not got that kind of money. So, alright, fair enough. Alright, we'll slide another email in. A multiversity of topics, I like that. Michael Peacock's emailed in. Dear Los Familia Leyland. Hello, Michael. I am ashamed that I have not written in more often to your wonderful show. We like this. Call it a wonderful show more often. I like that a lot. <laughs> Especially when I compare all the thoughts I've had to the impending end date of the show coming up. By the way, Michael, I wish you nothing but the best in your coming educational pursuits. Thank you very much. But I'd be damned if I wasn't going to let a little thing like that get in the way of lightning rounding some thoughts on recent episodes and conclude with a bit of sentiment. So, show topics. Number one, Scott Pilgrim. Not only did he... <laughs> Was that good? That was my lining. Very good. Not only did it involve Andy finding joy in one of Michael's favourites, you did a wonderful service to a fun and inventive series. By the way, have either of you checked out any of O'Malley's other works? Michael? Yup. Uh, Lost at Sea and Seconds. Did you like them both? I did, I did. Yeah. Which did you prefer? Seconds. Okay. And is that it? Is that his entire output? Uh, he's, he's done like indie stuff and posts on the website, but they're all collected in the hardbacks. And right. Such. But he's not done anything else other than Lost at Sea. Does any of that predate Scott Pilgrim? Lost that sea does. Oh, right, and then it was Scott Pilgrim, and then it was Seconds. Yeah, and he's writing a new series. Alright. Is he drawing it? He's not. Oh, he's drawing it? I that, don't know. Not they, they announced it, the, that recent image thing. Right. Oh, so it's going to be for image? Yeah. Alright. Well, you'll probably enjoy that then. Props. Number two, Superman Ulysses. Jeff Johns really can't write anymore. John Dramita Jr. really can't draw anymore. The perfect recipe for failure. Yay! <laughs> That was pen Do you know, we spent, what, how long were those episodes? Three hours in total. Yeah, yeah. And Michael just does it in a line. Why do we bother? I uh, think is the question. So people can write them in lines. We can't. Yes. 
Number three, television crossovers. I unabashedly love the 70s Iron Fist material. However, as much as I love Supergirl as a character, and enjoy Peter David as a writer, I kind of dropped off in interest in that combination series. Maybe it just got too lofty for my tastes. Go figure. Number four, Spidey's alien costume. I was happy to hear such a great conversation on an iconic, for better or worse, phase in Peter Parker's life. I mean, if it was just that particular story, I wouldn't have any issues. But aside from Venom, this storyline also began the tradition of senselessly recycling the black costume in future stories. I'm not even going to guess why Todd McFarlane wanted to shoehorn it into his Morbius two-part in the adjectiveless Spider-Man series. Well, Michael, that's probably because just he wanted to draw it. That was the impetus for every single one of McFarlane's storylines in that series, wasn't it? Yeah. I want to draw this. How do I work a story around that? Uh, if you're Todd McFarlane at that particular time, not very well. <laughs> it has to be said. Number five, post-crisis DC. I agree 100% with your takes on Superman and Batman in their post-reboot takes, but I was honestly surprised how positively you both took to Perez's Wonder Woman. This series was the real breath of fresh air Diana Prince, Diana Prince needed after decades of being... Well, the, essentially. Number six, Multiversity. Okay, okay, Michael, you've sold me. I'm curious to check the series of books out, along with revisiting Final Crisis. After all, you win. Words I like to hear. <laughs> Finally, I wanted to thank you both, Andrew and Michael, for your time in producing hours upon hours of entertainment for us listeners. You've been with me for three very long stretches of job hunting, last year to about a year later, now to where I've actively been through three jobs. Contract work isn't exactly career, but it beats being on the streets, and it's more experience at least. You've both put out shows when I honestly needed a laugh and quality talk about an artistic medium that I truly love and enjoy every single day. And for that, I cannot offer you enough sincere thanks. Well, you are very welcome. We kind of don't do sentiment, do we? We don't. We're a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> with it, but we appreciate that very much. Thank you. Enough of that sappy rot. That's more our. That's more our bag, isn't it? Now, uh, what are the chances you both dive in the rabbit hole that is Neil Adams' Batman Odyssey before Hakes closes its door? We're not masochists. <laughs> didn't you stop reading that? I did stop reading. I don't think I have every issue, yeah. Because yeah. didn't it run for two series of seven issues it or did, something? I think so, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think we have series two. Right. I think I gave in at issue seven. Could you not bring yourself... It just didn't make any sense to me when I was reading it, but I was reading it monthly. Yeah. So maybe reading it as a as a as a complete whole, it, it may be better. But haven't we just done a couple of episodes about a series where we we thought that would be the case and it wasn't? Yeah. I mean, having reading it be referred to as diving into the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, Michael didn't sell it to us, though, did he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It may be worth a look, though. You yeah. never know. Maybe a reunion movie. But we've got to do The Long Halloween first. We promised we would do that first. We were. So our first re- reunion movie is The Long Halloween. Okay. <laughs> hey, kids, comics has risen from the grave with The Long Halloween. <laughs> we're already talking about reunion movies and the series hasn't finished. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's do. confidence. Yeah, you do get your paperwork out and out before you need them. Yeah, well, we've got to sign contracts That's and, true, and yeah. all that stuff, so... Lovely lads, sincerely, Michael Peacock. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for uh, the sappy rot, as well as the uh, the other stuff. We'll call it a day, though, because um, obviously we want to actually talk about some comics tonight. But we've got more emails to come next week, and we'll play a trailer at be right back. The Fantastic Arts is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot. 
the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Scroll War. The arrival of Marvel Team-Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? Back in the day, comics were comics. They were not pamphlets or floppies. They are comics. They were, however, inroads being made by the various companies in their attempts to be taken seriously by publishers and the world at large. Comics had already latched onto the term graphic novel to explain simple collections of previously released material. But in the late 80s, after the phenomenal success of the Batman movie, a new player entered the arena. The bookshelf or prestige format. These were the same size as regular comics, but square-bound with spines with titles on, so they could be stored on bookshelves, hence the name, like proper books. They also cost more. These prestige format books were originally used for upscale and classy projects like The Dark Knight Returns or John Byrne's Generations miniseries, but later on it seemed like they would publish any old filth in this format, as it attracted more attention and milked the reader for more filthy lucre. Occasionally, though, they were worth it. One such tale is Legends of the Green Flame, a legendary lost Superman Green Lantern team-up written by Neil Gaiman. Gaiman was asked to submit a script that included all of the characters of the soon-to-be-defunct Action Comics Weekly, an experimental anthology title that had short strips for a number of DC characters, such as Superman, Green Lantern, Deadman, the Blackhawks, Catwoman, the Phantom Stranger, and the Demon. Ultimately, Action Comics Weekly was an experiment that failed due to its crushing deadlines and lack of reader interest. Editor Mark Wade has spoken to the former, saying that he remembers colouring pages himself over lunch in an effort to make deadlines. To close out the series, an epic story was planned, and this is where Gaiman came in. Gaiman looked at this as a challenge to bring all these characters together in one story, and didn't even blink when told that the demon wouldn't be available after all. Gaiman turned his story in in one week, and was promptly told there was a problem. See, Gaiman's story hinged on a story element that, thanks to the crisis on Infinite Earth, was no longer a part of continuity. The events of the crisis were still in flux in 1989, and it was decided that too many people knew Superman's ID, and this had been whittled down. The practical upshot of this was Green Lantern never knew Clark Kent was Superman, and as such, the story would need a significant rewrite. Gaiman demurred. Editors Mike Carlin and Mark Wade liked the story too much to assign it to another writer. Gaiman was paid, and the script shelved. Another story, Werther's A Will, was printed in its place, a story that has apparently gone on to be a very maligned Green Lantern story, but everybody moved on. Twelve years later, Gaiman was no longer a young new writer. Rather, he was Neil Gaiman, author of Sandman, a landmark comic series that had recently ended. Editor Karen Berger was looking for material to pad out a final collection, entitled Midnight Days, and asked Gaiman for any unpublished material. Gaiman remembered this story and called Mike Carley, but somewhere along the line, DC had misplaced Gaiman's script. Worse, Gaiman's computer crashed after that single printout was produced, meaning Gaiman didn't have a copy either. Fortunately, Gaiman had copied the script for a friend, who had passed that on to another friend, who still had it. Script in hand, different artists were contacted to supply art. These included Mike Allred, Terry Austin, Mark Buckingham, John Totleben, 
Matt Wagner, Eric Shanower, Arthur Adams, Jim Aparo, Kevin Nolan and Jason Little. The cover is by Frank Miller and features the claw of what looks like a giant eagle piercing Superman and Green Lantern. It's a pretty great cover. Superman's cape is a tattered mess and Green Lantern's ring looks like it's dying. Excellent use of shadows from Miller as well, given how much we've slagged the man off yeah. a couple of weeks ago. This is actually quite refreshing to look at a piece of Miller's work and go, that's quite good. Mm-hmm. I wonder, is it good because there's not a lot to it? It could be, even though the claws look like they're stuck on. Yeah, well, do you there's think... There's only he's... so much you can do on a front cover. Yeah, there's no blood. Do you think he's playing with that whole Electra thing where he could stab her but it couldn't pierce cloth? Could be. I like Superman's cape. Yeah. I like that it's it's not just ripped, it's a tattered mess. I, I like that it's blocky Miller. Yeah, See, Blocky Miller works sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. Green Lantern's hands are still mightily large. Yeah. But it's a good cover, though, isn't it? We're not dissing on the cover. So if Frank's listening to this, and he was crying into his soup (laughs) after what we said about All-Star Batman and Robin, yeah, and then, you know, he went online and checked his bank account and had the last laugh. (laughs) But before that, when he was still crying in his soup, we're sorry, Frank, because this is good. So there you go. Now you can go back to counting the zeros <laughs> in your in your bank balance and you can go, none of this matters. All that matters is the Leyland's lack some of my work. Yeah. So, fair play. <laughs> we don't want to go out on a bum note with Frank Miller, do we? We, we don't. He may, he may dispatch some Sin City ninjas <laughs> after us. That would be bad. It, it would. <laughs> uh, the book is dedicated to Gil Kane, artist. Uh, do you like the cover? Did I ask you? Yes. Oh. Did you, did you reply? I, I did. did it's, it's all right, well, when I listen back to it, <laughs> I'll hear that. Uh, the story is as follows. Hal Jordan, at a loss where to go, drops by his old pal Clark Kent. They prepare to leave for a burger when Lois hands Clark two tickets for the Maltese Falcons at the Metropolitan Museum exhibit she was supposed to cover, but has now found herself unable to. Clark and Hal attend, and, to Hal's surprise, one of the exhibits is a Green Lantern power battery. Hal is unsure how this got here. With the corpse disbanded and the Guardians gone, all extant lanterns should have been recalled or destroyed. He tries to ignite it using his oath, but it backfires spectacularly, expending a wave of green flame that kills them both. In the region of the dead, they encounter Boston Brand, who explains their predicament. They're not yet deceased, merely in the holding area until they are assigned to the final locations. Bran says that it's unusual, although not impossible, that they may find their way back. Well, for Superman, impossible is merely a challenge, and Hal uses his ring to will them back to their bodies. It doesn't work. Superman and Green Lantern find themselves in hell, trapped. Superman relives the suffering of many souls here and his inability to help an infinity of tortured people, he finds himself slipping into despair and madness. Green Lantern cannot communicate with the catatonic Man of Steel and as two demons slay our heroes, Green Lantern again wills them away. Elsewhere, the Phantom Stranger has taken an interest in these events and he rocks up to the Maltese Falcons at the Metropolitan Museum exhibit to check out what's occurring. What's occurring is that Hal has willed he and Superman into the heart of magic, the green flame that engulfed them, which has gained sentience after being banished by the Guardians in favour of the science of the power battery. Hal should not have tried to access the battery with his ring, as this clash of magic and science caused a feedback that nearly killed our heroes. The flame tries to seduce Green Lantern, 
telling him to cast aside his ring and science in favour of magic. The Phantom Stranger arrives and says that Green Lantern can resist this, as Alan Scott once did. Green Lantern fights and wins, and the Stranger, having delivered his exposition, prepares to leave with the battery. He says that Superman and Green Lantern will now be able to return to their own bodies. Back on Earth, Superman tells Green Lantern he's welcome to drop by any time, but Green Lantern says that this place is now his. Which was a cute little ending, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. In many ways. Um, the prologue, which I skipped off the synopsis because it's not really relevant. I guess. It kicks the plot off, but yeah. you, can, you can pretty much summarise it without that. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. It has art by Eddie Campbell. It takes place in 1949, and it's the Black Hawks scouring basements and hidden locations for hidden Nazi weapons. It's they that find the Green Lantern pa- power battery, and that's how it ends up in the museum mm. later on. You don't really need it, but it is quite funny. One of them's drunk. Yeah. And you never actually this... see their faces properly. Is that for a reason? Yeah, you do. Whoa. Don't. No, no, shadow, side, side, mouth, mouth, side. You never see a full-on facial shot. Oh, okay. And I was, I was just wondering, was that deliberate? And if it was deliberate, why? I don't know. No, I didn't either. I did like the what's-his-name. I did like this scene. It was quite funny. Is that the Golden Age Sandman? It's all the Golden Age people. Yeah. Right. Because so, our man... Um, Hawkman's feathers. Oh yeah, you're right. Hawkman's feathers. And you know, and then Alan Scott's battery, and then the black. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, I noticed Sandman. Yeah, the feathers went completely over my head. I must, uh, I must confess. I must confess. I did like the line when they found the feathers. Ah, American spy, hold still until it will tickle you to death. Yeah, because um, both of them are drunk, are they? No, only one of them's drunk. The one called Janus. What's the other one's name? Oh, is it Chan? Chen or something? Oh, yes, Because he, he makes the comment about Chinese he, people. He makes a, a joke about uh, Chinese people, and the guy says, yeah, be a little bit racist now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, okay, so that was that was a good introduction. And uh, Eddie Campbell keeps everything shady, because it's in a basement. Yeah. So you don't really expect to see a lot of light. The only real colour is the Green Lantern power battery, which I liked a lot. Mm. Everything else is muted colours. It's browns and greys and dark, and the Green Lantern battery is green, as you might expect. Yeah. Hence the name. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be yellow battery, is it? Uh, chapter one is the only chapter that changes artist halfway through, which bugged me. Does it? Yeah, more than I should have done. The first bit is by Mike Aldred and Terry Austin, who handle the Daily Planet stuff. And then when they go to the museum, that's Mark Buckingham. Oh, yeah. So they are, everyone else changes the art at chapters. Right. Whereas this one changes halfway through, which I didn't get. I didn't, you know. Maybe Mike Aldridge, slow artist. Or maybe Aldridge couldn't couldn't get through it. Um, Why is there a a gap at the top of the? Oh, it was action. You know what it is? What? It's Action Comics Weekly. Yeah. So that where it goes to the museum will have been chapter three of the story. Right. Okay. So hence a different artist. Right. Although originally, Gaiman wanted Matt Buckingham to draw the whole thing. Right. If had it seen print in nineteen eighty nine. Bucky would have drawn everything. Right, okay. So, yeah, so that explains it. The Blackhawks bit will have been the first part of the story. Hmm. So in Action Comics Weekly, you will have only got those three pages. Right, I, I understand now. It all becomes apparent, <laughs> doesn't it? Which is, is quite nice. Uh, the Daily Planet stuff's really quite fun. I like Clark and Hal talking in code. Hmm. And I like, are you doing anything this evening? Hal asks. And Clark translates that for us. Am I going on patrol? <laughs> the usual, yes. That was fun. Yeah. 
and I like that Clark and Hal know each other, which is also fun. And there's a little subtle reference to the Maltese Falcon. Right, okay. I mean, it's not so subtle after saying that this is a Maltese Falcon's exhibit. Yeah. But Hal Jordan says maybe Gutman and Cairo are presenting it, which proves that he's a fan of the Maltese Falcon. Okay. Or at least he's seen the film. I don't know if he's a fan of it. Maybe he's read the book. <laughs> I don't know. Hal doesn't strike me as a reader. Does he not? No. Okay. <laughs> Well, maybe. Maybe I'm doing a bit disservice. Though. <laughs> maybe he's smarter than I think he is. I don't know. Um, some nice character beats as Clark and Hal walk through the park. We learn Clark doesn't like Oliver Queen. Yeah. Which is understandable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some nice background details. When Hal's talking to Clark, Clark disappears. And then when he comes back, he's got a cat in his hand and he just yes. lets the cat go. The implication being he's just rescued it from a tree. Which apparently DC don't let you do anymore. Do they not? No, no more of that rescuing cats from, tea, from tree stuff. Oh, okay. That's corny. Right. And stuff. We don't do that anymore. Okay. So apparently that's an edict. All right. That's so I read. Probably on Bleeding Cool, so I don't know how true it is. It has that from his sources. That's from uh, his sources. Right. Yes. Okay. He understands <laughs> that Superman is not allowed to rescue right, cats okay. anyway. Which is fair enough, he may not be. <laughs> yeah. He was right about the Fantastic Four. <laughs> let's let's give him all the credit in the world. Did Marvel have whitewashed the Fantastic Four? Yeah. Because they don't want it to be... Do you know what it was? What? Do you think they got wind early on that that film was going to be bad? Right, okay. And they've just like... It's nothing to do with Ike Perlmutter right. not wanting to support Fox. It's that they don't want Marvel associated with a movie <laughs> that has done so badly. Okay, yeah. It's possible. Yeah. As, as conspiracy theories go, <laughs> they may have gotten wind that it was quite not good. Yeah, and then just hidden. Yeah, and then they've cancelled the Fantastic Four's comics. Right. Or brushed them out of posters <laughs> so that it's just, we don't want this associated with us. Yeah. Which, you know... Well, that's fair enough. I think that's okay. Um, I really did find the line, Hal, I think we're being mugged, really funny. Yeah. So Clark and Hal are just having this conversation in the middle of the park, and they're surrounded by people who look like they're from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> I think we're being mugged is funny. I like how they're just like, oh, no, no, after you. <laughs> yes. It's all yours. <laughs> that is really funny when they're both like, do you want to take this? No, no, it's all right. You can do it. No, no, you do it. I can't be bothered. How about we both do it? Oh, all right, then. So then Clark blows. Yeah. And knocks them all over. And then Green Lantern puts them in a big flashing cage with a big neon sign that says, please stop here for muggers. And I think it's genius. And Clark says... Um, I think I thought I said discreet. Yeah. And Hal's like, that was discreet. <laughs> Except for the flashing green neon sign. It's a very discreet flashing green neon sign. Yeah. That was funny. I would have paid for an entire issue of Neil Gaiman just doing stuff like this. Because I liked this stuff much more than I, liked, than I liked the actual plot. Right, okay. But maybe that's just me. Maybe you like the actual plot more. I don't know. They go to the museum, it's now Matt Buckingham, as I've mentioned. Um, they run into Selena Kyle. So how Gaiman gets Selena Kyle into this story is really cool. Yeah. She's basically just casing the joint. Yeah. And she's really miffed when she learns that the, the Capkin Pearl uh, isn't going to be making an appearance. She was obviously going to steal it. Yeah. So that's and then that's it for Catwoman's appearance. So he shoehorned all the characters into the story, but with Catwoman, it was just a cameo. Yeah. Which is cool. And Hal Jordan doesn't know who Selina Kyle is, mm. which I liked. I thought that was really quite cool. I like the T-Rex on the next page with a Coke can. Yeah, in Coke it. can jammed in it. And there's lots of cool stuff in here. Mark Buckingham's pages are some of the best in the book. 
Right. And there is a part of me that wishes he had drawn it all as Gaiman as, as originally intended because it is really, really good. It would have also removed that jam feeling that it yeah. has. It's not that any of the art is bad. Yeah. And none of the transitions are jarring. This isn't like Alan Davis becoming Todd McFarlane in Batman Year Two. Right. This is all of it works, doesn't it? Mm. But uh, I just think Bucky's work is better. I prefer some of the other stuff. Do you? Yeah. See, I like Bucky's stuff. I like that he does that John Byrne thing where they're all stood on the bottom of the panel. Yeah. Which I think is really good. Um, there's, there's a few familiar faces in this. I'm sure there is. Oh yeah, there is on the next page. Right. Well, I've got the. That's Jeanette Kahn. The curator of the museum is Jeanette Kahn. Right. Who was a publisher of DC Comics at the time. So I'm yeah. pretty sure that's Jeanette Kahn. The most obvious there is Neil Gaiman. Yeah, Neil Gaiman himself is is clearly in the crowd. It's a very young Neil Gaiman. But yeah. he was 20 years younger then, wasn't he? I'm pretty sure some of these other faces must be real people. Yeah, they're too detailed and yeah. in focus. Do you think one of them's Neil, uh, Mike Carlin? Could be. He was one of the editors of the book. One maybe Mark Wade. Yeah. Although it doesn't look like Mark Wade, but I don't know what Mark Wade of 20 years ago looked like. Yeah. So, I don't know. It does, and it, the kids as well, it looks... Do you think he slid some of his friends in? Probably. I wouldn't, because like you say, they are too detailed in the facial thing to just be superhero faces. His Clark and his Hal Jordan are great, yeah, but they're not as detailed as some of them. Like in that case, he's drawing real people. Mm. So other than Neil Gaiman and Jeanette Kahn, I'm pretty sure. If anyone knows who they are, write in and let us know, because I couldn't find anything on the interwebs. Granted, I didn't do a lot of research. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, by that, I think I didn't do any. Yeah, okay. That's entirely possible that I didn't do any for this. So, all right, fair enough. Um... Two-page splash, which I presume would have ended a chapter. Mm. And indeed would have, because we go into chapter two on the next page. It's John Totleyban's Dead Men sequence. Dead Man, sorry. Uh, Boston brand. This is also funny. Yeah. Where they're in the limbo state. There's some excellent use of shading in this, which is, is really quite nice. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think the art's great in this bit. Yeah, it is good. I just I don't like his Green Lantern and his Superman very much. No, he suits Dead Man. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not overly fond of his Green Lantern and Superman. There is some funny stuff. My name's Boston Brown. Don't laugh. My brother was Cleveland. My parents didn't have any imagination. Yeah. That's a funny line. And he's basically setting up the ending in this four-page chapter. Mm. You're in limbo. You're not actually dead. Yeah. So there is a way back from this. You get a cute little reference to death. What? Uh, he says, she won't let me go, though. Oh, right. Yeah, when he's talking about going to heaven and hell. Hell and hell, Philadelphia. Sorry, joke about Philadelphia. Yeah. That was funny. That's essentially what this is, really, though. It's a Sandman story with, with Superman, Superman and Lantern, yeah. Do you think? Yes. Why? Because there are two references to Sandman. Well, there's death. What's the other one? Oh, yeah, he mentions this is no dream realm. Yeah, later uh, on, the one it? I got was, at least this is how I interpreted it, is the people who were talking to the Phantom Stranger. Right. Yeah, I, I read it as though they were the Endless. Oh, did you? Yeah. Right, okay, because the Phantom Stranger bit... According to Gaiman's introduction, did you read the introduction? Oh, I did the first time I read it, but not this time. The Phantom Stranger stuff is tying up loose ends from his own action comic strip. Yeah. And because this is now no longer part of the action comic strip, you could remove these three pages, and it would make no difference to the narrative at all. It introduces him coming into it later. Yeah, but, I mean, it's really nicely rendered by Matt Wagner. But you don't need this. The Phantom Stranger's whole shtick was he shows up out of nowhere, yeah. delivers some exposition, 
saves the day, yeah. says something along the lines of man was not <laughs> meant to know, and then disappears. Yeah. And without these three pages, he does that. Because there's a lot of... Uh, obviously, there's the whole metaphor of him knocking down the king on the chest set. Yeah, checkmate. So, yeah, which doesn't mean anything to this story. Yeah, without having followed the Phantom Stranger story in Action Comics Weekly, this is irrelevant. Yeah, so maybe they are the endless, it's just I read it as that and it works with this story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can read that as this is the endless. It doesn't affect the story in any way. Mm. But likewise, these three pages being completely ripped out wouldn't affect the story in any way. Yeah, okay. It probably worked when it was scheduled to be published in Action. Yeah. But not being in Action, it doesn't work. Okay. Uh, Superman in Hell is depicted by Eric Shanauer and Art Adams. Art Adams do some inking, right. which is quite unusual. Um, this was alright. Superman cries a lot. Yeah. As he, he feels the pain of all the thousands of souls that he can't do anything to help. We get some cool capage. Yes, we get some excellent capage in this. It's draped all over him. I don't know if that's how they would have done it back then. Although they may have done, because by this point, Byrne was doing capage, and yeah. Jerry Ordway was doing capage, and so was Dan Jurgen. So yeah, alright, so maybe they would have. So the hell sequences are quite nice. Did that jibe with Sandman? Yeah. Or are the different levels of hell? Yeah, it's, it's, it's different, but it still works. You know, hell is a place where you want to go if you believe you go there. Plus, the, the guys on the boat are pretty funny. Yeah, the guys on the, the what's it? Um, wasn't, this was supposed to be the demon. Yeah, because he rhymes. Yes, and he got told at the last minute he couldn't use the demon. Right. But given that he was only in this one scene anyway, yeah. he just rewrote it to be a demon of hell, and it didn't make any difference to the story. Mm. I do wonder, right, here's a question, right. why for this version he couldn't have made that the demon again? Because the continuity issues that caused that to not be there, right. and ultimately caused the story to not see print in the first place, none of that matters now. Um, because it's the same script, so just having the demon flying. I guess. Well, that's what I'm saying. All he did in the script was say, right, this isn't Etrigan anymore. Right. It's a demon from hell. Yeah. If he just basically said, let's make it Etrigan again. But they're all flying. Can the Etrigan not fly? I don't think so. I don't remember. I don't remember if Etrigan can fly. He can rhyme, badly. <laughs> but he can't fly, that we know of. Anyway, I just wondered what the reason was for not making that what his original intention was. Because the continuity problems, like I said, just don't matter at this point. Yeah. So, well, alright, he didn't, so it doesn't matter. I suppose you can argue a case that if the Green Lantern hadn't relied or even used his ring, none of this would have happened. Yeah. If Green Lantern hadn't tried to access the power battery in the museum and got cocky, yeah. this entire story wouldn't have occurred. Or if Lois Lane had just gone to it. Or if Lois Lane had just gone to it, nothing, it wouldn't have mattered, would it? Yeah. <laughs> because doesn't this, this creature at the end, the green flame stuff... Doesn't he only learn of them because of Green Lantern trying to access the power battery? Yeah. So if he hadn't done that, he wouldn't have become aware of Superman and Green Lantern and none of this story would have ever happened. Yeah. So it's all Green Lantern's fault it that is. Superman nearly died. <laughs> well done, Hal. I can see why um, Dan did it wanted to bring you back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> alright, fair enough. The Green Flame stuff's alright. Starts getting a bit convoluted and, and wanky here though, doesn't it? Uh, a little bit. I became sentient when I banished magic from life. And this whole idea that Green Lantern needs to shun science and join him in magic. His Green Lantern ring is pretty indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. I well, mean, we're supposed to accept that it is scientifically 
plausible because of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Not the Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians of Oa. But it's, it still seems like magic. Uh, I, I, I kind of like that it was separating, clearly separating him from the previous Green Lantern. Yeah. Well, Alan Scott. Yeah. Yeah, alright. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong, it's not bad. Mm. By any stretch of the imagination, but it did start. It, like you say, it became a Sandman story. Yeah. At this point, that Superman's in. Mm. And sometimes that can yield interesting results, like when we did Green Arrow and we basically decided this is a Batman story that they've put Green Arrow in. Yeah, yeah. And let's see how Green Arrow handles a Batman story. That can be quite interesting. But the bottom line with this is Superman doesn't do anything. Neither does. Green Lantern gets them into it. Yeah. And Green Lantern arguably gets them out of it with a bit of prodding from the Phantom Stranger. Yeah. But there's not really any need for Superman to be here, is there? No. Ultimately. I guess not. He tags along with Green Lantern because Green Lantern's dragged him into this mess. Mm. But he doesn't do anything. Yeah. It's not a Superman story. It's a Green Lantern arguably a Phantom Stranger story. Because it doesn't even... He, he goes to, to Clark to say, oh, I've not really been feeling wanted or anything. Yeah, I, he, I don't feel like I'm mad. And that's... It's not exactly... It doesn't finish on that. He just says, oh, I guess my perspective's changed see, now. See, I got that did come a full story arc. Green Lantern... I don't know what Green Lantern's status quo, say it with me, was at this point. Yeah. But at the beginning of this story, he's lost and alone and he doesn't know where he's going or what he's doing. So does that tie into Green Lantern number one that we covered a couple of weeks ago? Could be. Where he ends up wandering the, the Earth like Kane from Kung Fu? Yeah, because he said that the power battery was destroyed, which is Christ's on infinite Earth. Right. So that ties into that. But by the end of this story, you get the implication that he's satisfied with who he is. Which right. doesn't play into that Green Lantern story that we covered, where he's still wandering the earth like Dr. David Banner. Yeah. And just trying to find himself. So, on the one hand, this works in and of itself as its own story. On the other, it doesn't really lead into Green Lantern number one perfectly. Hmm. But I don't know the chronology. Unless it's just happening around then. Yeah, maybe was Green Lantern number one out when before this would have been published? suppose I should have checked that if we were in any yeah. way professionals. <laughs> but, you know, this is the level of competence you've come to expect from this show. Yeah. And I don't see at this point four or five episodes from the end why we should change now. Besides, it's, it's not a Green Lantern issue, it's a, a one-shot. Yeah, that's true. And everyone ends up back where they were in the first place. Yes. You know, it's, it's fair enough. Um, Phantom Stranger just shows up and does what he always does. Yeah. <laughs> Man was not meant to know, but leaves. <laughs> Shows up, says something cryptic, buggers off. His shoes stay clean at the end of this. <laughs> and like, Superman's like, what, what's going on? And Phantom Stranger's like, oh, you don't worry about it. Who am I? A friend, Kal-El. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Superman's like, what? Superman's like that for the entire story. Yeah, Superman is quite bewildered throughout most of this issue. Yeah. But this is out of his ballywick, isn't it? He just goes over and says, I'm never talking to Hal I am never hanging again. out with Hal John ever again. <laughs> he took me to this funny Vertigo comic <laughs> story. I didn't understand what the hell was going on. I've had enough. Yep. <laughs> Come back, John Byrne. All is forgiven. <laughs> There's a cute ending to this although the artwork in the last two pages is awful I think it's the last two pages is a guy called Jason Little 
Right. Well, no, I take that back. It's not awful. It's very different. It doesn't suit the rest of this story. Yeah. The last two pages, it turns into a cartoon. Because even with Mike Allred, which is very cartoonish. Yeah, you have Terry Austin. Yeah. So I presume it's Terry Austin that was, was finessing the line. It works with the scenes as well. It's a cartoony, yeah. superior story, and then it turns into a Vertigo issue. Yeah, and then it becomes a cartoon again. Yeah. So maybe that's what they were going for. Well done. Okay. Because it does become very cartoony in the last two pages. The final thing, there's a guy taking um, a billboard down for Fatal Attraction, which just ends up saying, Action. Action yeah. Comics, get it? And Superman leaves, and... Um, Green Lantern says, take care of big guy, the place is all yours. And then he turns and winks at the audiences and says, if you get what I mean. Because obviously, Action Comics was becoming a Superman title again. Yeah. It's a cute bit that doesn't work in this story. Yeah. Similar to the Phantom Stranger bit. Mm. And you're kind of like, could Neil not have just rewritten that to make a little bit more sense in context of this? Hmm. Or did they just want to publish that script as was? I, mean, I think they just wanted to publish the script as was. You're probably right. I mean, it's a, it's a funny gag. And I do like that Green Lantern ends the issue winking at the audience. That's very Silver Age. That was yeah. only what Superman did. But as we've pointed out, Superman didn't do anything in this story. No, he didn't. <laughs> so, you know, it was alright. What did you think of it? Uh, I did. I liked it. Because it is uh, essentially a Sandman story. With Superman in it. <laughs> And Green Lantern. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. It's a typical Neil Gaiman story. It's it's a Sandman story, like Michael said. It deals with concepts of heaven and hell. It even makes references to there being different dream realms. Mm. So that's very definitely tying into Sandman. Uh, it's a lot like Alamo's The Jungle line as well. It's a more traditional superhero story, although there's supernatural and mystical elements in it, making it a little bit more vertigo that Gaiman likes to play with. The story itself is quite simple. Yeah. There's not really a lot to the story in and of itself. It's the little de- details that Gaiman throws in that makes it sing, as you might expect from an artistic jam session. There's a schizophrenic feel to the art, but to the story's credit, most of the art changes don't feel out of place, only like we've mentioned Jason Little's cutesy little epilogue. This would have been a neat ending to Action Comics Weekly. It works fine as a standalone issue. It's not really worth the prestige format treatment, though, I didn't think. think. And it only really merits being put in this pricey package because Neil Gaiman became Neil Gaiman! Uh, I guess. But wasn't it more treated as kind of an unforgotten relic? Or a forgotten relic? Yeah, it was was hyped up as being a forgotten Neil Gaiman issue or a lost Neil Gaiman script. And it's one of those instances where that is actually true. The script was lost. Mm. And they just happened to be able to find another copy again. It's alright though, isn't it? Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad we decided to cover it. It doesn't suck. So it was originally released in uh, a Sandman collection? It's, it's the story here as he was looking for stuff for Midnight Days. Right. Have you got Midnight Days? I've just got whatever's in the absolute, so right. this isn't in it. Well, for Midnight Days he was only looking for the script to right. publish the script in Midnight Days. So then when they got the artist... When they managed to get hold of the script again, somebody's said, well, why don't we just have them draw it and publish it? Maybe that's why it wasn't in it, then. So, yeah. So ultimately it ended up getting published as its own thing. Yeah. Neil Gaiman and Friends. Yeah. Apparently. I wonder if they're all he, really his friends. Just don't know. I, I don't think know. Mark Buckingham secretly hates him. Do you think? <laughs> yeah. We've met Mark Buckingham. We have. He's a very nice man. He is. He drew a death sketch for you, Mark. He did. Which was uh, quite nicer. Another prestige format book that doesn't seem to get a lot of love is another DC Marvel crossover. 
but one that is one of those smack-yourself-upside-the-head ideas that nobody ever seems to have thought of. The story goes that John Byrne was at a convention, he doesn't recall which one, when a fan named Mark Galinis McFinn came up to him and said, Galactus eats apocalypse. Byrne looked at George Perez, who was sat next to him, and they both looked at each other with a, why didn't we think of that look on their face? Byrne let the idea percolate, and, perhaps showing the difference between 1995 and today, pitched the idea to DC, who really liked it, and then set about sending their legal department to talk to Marvel about making the project a reality. Setting aside that there is no way the two companies would be so agreeable today, Byrne's only stipulation for the story was that it did not include the Fantastic Four, or feature the New Gods meeting the Fantastic Four. Byrne liked the simplicity of the idea of this being only... Darkside and Galactus. The Hunger was written and drawn by John Byrne, who also provided the cover. It's a good cover, Silver Surfer and Orion fighting atop the Silver Surfer's board as Galactus and Darkseid look on. The only problem with it is being a square-bound prestige format book, there's a quarter of the image on the back cover, which makes it quite difficult to look at the whole thing. The black racer hangs out in the background. There's a part of me that thinks, as much as he may have liked the Galactus Eats Apocalypse idea, he only did this to have the Black Racer meet the Silver Surfer. Okay. So the Cosmic Surfboard meeting the Cosmic Skier. Yeah. Do you like the cover? Yeah, yeah. It's good, isn't it? Mm. Burned before he went bad. And then got good again. He's very heavy in this, though. He's I inks. Thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got a thing. I, I went. I did do some research on this. Right. Okay. I went to Burn Robotics to see if he had anything about that. I kind of stay away from Burn Robotics nowadays. You used to go on it all the time. Yeah. Now I will only go, and I'll just go to commissions, <laughs> and I'll just have a look at his commissions because right. I don't want to see what he said recently that makes me go, no. <laughs> You need a filter between your brain and your mouth. But anyway, so his commissions are still brilliant. Yes. And uh, I had a look in the frequently asked questions if there was anything about this while I was there. And it talked... uh, All it said about this was, when he inked it, he was experimenting with different thicknesses of pen. Right. And on the bigger boards, Mm. this looked okay. And he liked it. He liked it quite a bit. But when it was when it down. shrunk down to the size that it is, he thinks it looks too heavy. And he, on that frequently asked question, said he doesn't like the final, the look of the final result of the pencils, right? Because of the different brush he was using for the inks. I think the art's brilliant in this. I think it's some of his best. I don't think it's as thick as some of the stuff he was doing on the Fantastic Four. Right. Okay. I think it's it looks really good. I, I think there is sometimes where it's, it's it's like really heavy. Yeah, well, maybe if they publish this again in, um, like, an oversized treasury format, which is highly unlikely, it's Marvel and DC, yeah. after all, it would look better on a bigger size, like mm. he says. I don't know. But I thought it looked great. I thought it was uh, it was really good. Uh, story, 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 story. Galactus, still seeking worlds to consume in the hope he will be able to satiate his everlasting hunger, follows his herald, the Silver Surfer, to a new planet, the hellish environs of Apocalypse. The ruler of Apocalypse, Darkseid, the living embodiment of evil, launches an all-out attack on Galactus, the devourer of worlds, largely to no avail. Even weak as he is, Galactus is one of the most powerful forces in the universe and refuses to yield. Across the void on the sister world of Apocalypse, New Genesis, a verdant paradise, Darkseid's son and sworn opponent, Orion, refuses to stand by and let the hated rivals die, and he battles the Silver Surfer, a battle that culminates in Orion's near death. 
However, Darksiders realise that the Surfer is unaware of his true heritage, believing himself to have been conjured into being from nothingness by Galactus. He dispatches the cruel and cowardly Desard to attack the Surfer with a mind restoration device Darkseid just happens to have in his back pocket. With his memories of his past restored, a past he sacrificed to save his homeworld, the Surfer turns on Galactus. But what Galactus gives, Galactus can take away, and he returns the Surfer to his oblivious state with a blast of his cosmic eye beams. The point of all this, though, was that Darkseid felt this was a weakness worth exploiting, and he uses his Omega Beams to erase Galactus from existence. He fails, and Galactus swats Darkseid away and starts the engines on his suck-the-life-out-of-planets machine. Nothing happens. Galactus is perturbed. Not as perturbed as the surfer, who is shot in the back by Darkseid in a fit of pique. Galactus asks why would Darkseid expend so much energy and sacrifice so many lives for a planet that held no life force. Darkseid replies that they are much alike, he and Galactus. Both are bigger than the universe in which they live, and both play a part that is far larger than their enemies imagine. Galactus leaves as hungry as he arrived, and the Surfer promises his master they will find another world. Here's the ending of this, because he's wearing his skirt, which I always thought was quite an impractical fashion choice for somebody who is very, very tall. Yes. Would that not mean that everyone's just looking up at Galactus's balls? <laughs> hey, me too much! <laughs> well, where would Galactus get underwear? Although, where does he get that natty outfit that he wears? I know, this is, this is shorts and t-shirts Galactus, isn't it? Yes, it Which is. Because, is... well, it's warm on Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. so surely it makes sense that he would wear shorts and t-shirt. Yeah, I... I, I yeah. <laughs> This, this Galactus, I think, is a bit silly. Oh, I love Galactus with his shorts and T-shirts. I, I like it when he gets his more refined, yeah, stereo look. <laughs> I love the idea that he's like a proper tourist, that he thinks skirts and boots are a good look. <laughs> could be worse, he could be wearing sandals with socks. That, yeah. That's just a major fashion faux pas. <laughs> Unfortunately, one that Galactus does not subscribe to. Yes. In this particular issue. Yeah, it's shorts and T-shirts, Galactus. Which is nice. Uh, yeah. I like it I think it's good um, there's a couple of computer generated images in this uh, yeah no, that's computer generated oh, right. and I think he's faffed around with some of the pictures of Apocalypse some of his early computer generation stuff which has led to his Star Trek thing where he's doing the photo oh, shot right. it's stuff. cheating is that what you think that it is creating comics that is just screenshots of the TV show well it's not by just by the fact you're one of the biggest co- uh, comic artists <laughs> it's not just screenshots <laughs> he does some little photoshop trickery no, and no, 3D, 3D rendering of, of ships right oh you're not buying it are you <laughs> no. oh, okay fair enough I quite like those Star Trek stories actually Right, okay. uh, some good st- I do agree with you I'd probably prefer him if he drew them yeah but if he drew them they probably wouldn't exist because he, he's not fond of his own likenesses which I think he's been a bit hard on himself right, okay. I think his likenesses of Shatner and Nimoy are perfectly uh, acceptable the opening of the story is on New Genesis after we get a couple of pages explaining how they both came into being which is yeah. nice it's nice to have that in a one shot New Genesis is the opening the source wall basically says hide the world and then Desard points out on Apocalypse that New Genesis seems to be burning and then it just suddenly disappears. What exactly did they do 
to get New Genesis to avoid detection from Galactus. He got light because what Darkseid says is if you look at it mm-hmm. and look through it, it's just blackness. Yeah. So what they did was, the, what I assume they did, they got light ray to just reflect the light so that it looked like there was nothing there. Excellent. Well, I've got that exact same note, so it seems like it's not there, right? Okay, yeah. I can buy that. Right. But he doesn't actually mask anything about the planet other than its appearance and its place. Yeah. So presumably the Silver Surfer goes smashed right into it. There is that, yeah. Essentially he puts a cloaking device around it. He yes. bends light to make it look like the planet's not there. That's fine. That's lightweight. I, I, I love that, to be honest. What, Silver Surfer just flies into the planet no, with a big clunk. The way of surviving Galactus is to hide and let Galactus eat the thorn in their sides. <laughs> I hadn't considered it that way. Yeah. That is actually very, very... Yeah. <laughs> they hide themselves like Galactus Eat Apocalypse. Yeah. So basically you've got High Father there going, we just put our feet <laughs> up, all our problems go away. Yeah. And if not for Orion being ever so slightly noble, yeah. they'd have gotten away with it. Like yeah. Scooby-Doo villains. <laughs> we'd have gotten away with it. If not for that pesky Orion. <laughs> I hadn't considered that. Alright, so the planet's just behind the clocking device. How then does Galactus not at least sense their life energies? Yeah, there is that, okay. Because the planet's still there. Yeah. Now, however, the entire plot centres on the Silver Surfer finding Apocalypse. And then there's the big twist ending, which we're going to spoil for you. The Apocalypse has no life force, Mm -hmm. so Galactus can consume no nourishment from it. Yeah. Is it possible, therefore... That the Silver Surfer senses the life force of New Genesis... And thinks... But because New Genesis isn't there... Right. ...thinks that that life force is emanating from Apocalypse. Could be. Because if that is the case, that eliminates a massive plot hole from this storyline. Yeah. The, well, why did he not know that... The, surely the Silver Surfer's job is to find planets that have a life force. Yes. He presumably, therefore, with the power cosmic, has the ability to, to define whether... Divine, sorry, whether a planet has a life force. Yeah. Right? Why, then, would he not recognise that Apocalypse did not have any life energies for Galactus to consume? Yeah, is a bit of a plot hole. But yeah. if the fact that New Genesis is the planet that's emanating the life force, mm-hmm. that's what the surfer picks up on. Yeah. Galactus just takes the surfer's word for it instead of actually checking himself. Yeah. Which is a bit lazy of it. <laughs> but that's the whole point of the surfer. It's like, you had one job! And I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> Check that planets have life force in the Silver Surfer's like, I'm sorry. But that works, doesn't it? Yeah. So suddenly what is a massive plot hole is not a plot hole anymore. Mm-hmm. I hope he intended that. But it's like, if you can hear something, yeah. you can pretty much dis- dis- distinguish where the noise is coming from. Yeah, you can discern where it's it's coming so from. even if he is sensing it, could he not be able to sense that, oh, it's coming from over there, not here? You can argue a case that the Silver Surfer arrives, and the minute that he arrives, he gets attacked by parademons. So, he, yeah. Okay. So, if we go by my theory that he's sensed New Genesis... And then they've hid New Genesis, so we just assume... Because they're very close to each other, aren't they? Yeah. In spatial terms, obviously. Mm. And as soon as he gets the... He's, oh, this is a desolate... Oh, Parademon! <laughs> and at that point, he's already signalled Galactus to come. As we say, Galactus doesn't double-check his data. Yeah. Which is very foolish of him. <laughs> Schoolboy error from mm. Galactus, quite frankly. And then the story continues from that. Yeah. So if that is a big plot hole that we've just fixed for you, Mr. Byrne, you're welcome. <laughs> if you intended that, very well done for being subtle. Because mm. a lot of people say Byrne isn't subtle. 
<laughs> but if that's his intent here, that's exceptionally subtle. Yeah. And I like it a lot, which is, is very good. The entire plot also centres on the Silver Surfer not knowing about Zen La. Right, yeah. And his sacrifice to save that world. Is that a retcon? I don't know, because I, I thought that. I don't remember Surfer being amnesiac in Fantastic Four 48 through 50. Right. Which was his first appearance. And the implication at the end of this hmm. is that they go straight from this to Fantastic Four 48. Yeah. Because Galactus, as you point out, is still wearing his shorts and t-shirt. Because, as we've pointed out, Apocalypse warm. <laughs> he's just come from his summer vacation home. Yeah. And then he goes to New York, but he's not had time to get changed, so he's still wearing his shorts. I do know Kirby's original intent was to have the Surfer be the creation of Galactus. Right. And then when Stan Lee did the Silver Surfer's own comic with John Buscema, he created this whole Zen La, Shalabal backstory stuff. Right. So, knowing Byrne as we do, for wanting to make everything fit... Yeah. Even if he has to smash it with a <laughs> hammer... It's jigsaw pieces, it's must look jigs- horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Dang! <laughs> this, does this imply that he's tying... Kirby's original intent with what Stan would ultimately do. It could be, because it, it works. Yeah. It's just, I'm reading it, and it's it doesn't really fit from what I remember of the Silver Surfer. But it also eliminates the question that people have said about the Surfer. That, right. alright, he saved Zen La, but he's perfectly happy going finding him planets with other sentient life forms on that he could just eat, and the Surfer's not asked. I thought he was like... Um, supposed to be like a pacifist who got bored of war and then his <laughs> ultimate curse is to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> irony! <laughs> yeah. Stan likes his irony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I thought it was, not I'm, I'm a bit bored so I'm going to help you kill folk. <laughs> well, well, he is. Yeah. But in, in Stan's story, he's an adventurer on a planet of ultimate tedium. Yeah. Where yeah. there are no more worlds to conquer, and everyone just lies around all day reading poetry and eating grapes. Right. So, but the surfer longs for adventure. So yeah. he, he ditches his woman and says, Save my planet, and I will come and find you worlds to consume. Yeah. There's never any indication that he only finds empty worlds for the surfer to consume, for the galactic. Especially to when we see the surfer on a, a live planet yeah. full of. People. And he brought him to Earth. And didn't yeah. give a toss yeah. until Alicia Masters reached into its humanity. And he brings him to Apocalypse, where despite the ending of this tale, there are clearly life forms on Apocalypse. Yeah. And the surfer doesn't care. So the whole thing with the amnesia, that does tie into if the surfer doesn't remember who he is or where he comes from, yeah. he has no qualms, therefore, about feeding entire planets of asparagus people to Galactus. <laughs> yeah, yes. That works. So it's a retcon that works. I don't know if anyone's ever adopted it beyond the pages of this one story. Right. But it does work, doesn't it? Yeah. So again, fair play, Mr. Bird. <laughs> yeah, excellent. The The introduction of Galactus is gorgeous. Mm. Full page splash of him. He's going all out on the Kirby homage yeah. without being a Kirby rip-off. He, he does that a bit well, but I think he's, he's uh, dark side looks a bit stocky and wobbly. Well, wasn't the original Dark Side? He wasn't massive. Uh, yeah. And he's become massive in later years. But he was just—he was just a stocky regular bloke, wasn't he? Yeah, but I think doing it because he's—he's he's very definitely trying to channel some curviness. Oh yeah. He's—he's Dark Side. Sometimes looks a bit too wobbly. Yeah, but his Galactus is brilliant. Mm. I love Galactus. I love his just completely insane design. 
Yeah. I think he's brilliant. There's just something about it that you look at it and go, that is mad. And yeah. Helmet. Yeah, but yeah, you just accept it as being brilliantly mad. Yeah. It's, it's it's Kirby mad. Yeah, and it's amazing how well Galactus fits into new the new gods, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it is really so the Silver Surfer and Galactus are perfectly at home. Yeah, interfacing with Darkseid and and the new gods, and so that works really really well. I think the art's brilliant. I really do. The majority of the story is just Galactus and Darkseid like playing chess with each other. Pretty much, yeah. Which is fun. And some of it's really overwritten, if we had to criticise it. Yeah. There's a lot of it really cool with the art, though. Yeah. Burn is great at doing machinery and Yeah, he's and brilliant. So when this is essentially all it is... Mm. Galact- Darkseid keeps conjuring up things for Galactus to yeah, fight. Yeah. And that's really good. The thing is, though... I mean, I'll, see, I'm going to criticise it now for something that I have criticised other people for. Right. Which does make you a little bit of a hypocrite. Okay. But in a lot of cases, he doesn't need as many captions as he has. Yeah. The the art is telling the story. Because he doesn't need to say Galactus is caught unawares. We can see that that guy's just punched him in the back of the head. Yeah. So the art tells us that Galactus is, is caught unawares. So then we don't need, but only for a moment. We mm. can quite see, clearly see Galactus has been knocked on his feet, off his off his feet, sorry, onto his ass. Yeah. But he turns around and fires his cosmic beams at them. So we can see all of that. There's there's a Stan Lee element of writing what we're seeing that I don't think we needed a lot of, or we didn't need as much of it. Yeah, maybe that's what he was going for. What a Stan Lee feel. Yeah. All right. In that case, he succeeded. Well done. <laughs> yeah. so, all right. If you're going with that theory, then he succeeded. Yeah, okay. Even though it felt a little bit overwritten in places, to well, me. in that sense, does it not feel in place for the type of story this is? Yes, alright. If it's supposed to be taking place before Fantastic Four 48, yeah. then, alright. So technically, then, this is the first appearance of the new God. Okay. If it's taking place before that, in publication order, he didn't do the new God till he left Fantastic Four. Okay, yeah, so, okay. But right. it's also the first appearance of Glatz and the Silver Surfer. Yeah. Like that extension, so that's alright. To be fair, he does. He incorporates the origins of New Genesis and Darkseid and Galactus to a certain extent. Yeah. And the Silver the Surfer and the Watcher. Yeah, well done. Yeah, the Watcher has a one-panel appearance, doesn't he? Before somebody shot him in the head. Um, <laughs> very well. Yeah, it, it really works. Like you never once doubted that these characters could meet. Mm. Like even with Batman and Superman, you're a bit like. But why are they meeting? Why are they hanging out with each other? Yeah. yeah. But with this, it, it's cosmic space stuff. It's brilliant. It, mm. It's really good. This is a very underrated Marvel-DC crossover. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's been reprinted anywhere, but I, I, I love the bit where Galactus staggers and falls. It's a bit similar to a very similar page and dialogue that he did in an issue of Fantastic Four. Right. Where they actually bring Galactus to his knees. And I think the panel work is exactly the same as well. Yeah. So it's possibly just homaging himself. And I, love, I just love the Silver Surfer. <laughs> Again, it's a guy, it's a nude bloke on a surfboard. Yeah. Soaring through space. And you're like, this should not work! <laughs> there were a few times reading this and I was like, he really is on a surfboard. Yeah. But, well, the, but the Black Race is just as crazy. Yeah, yeah. But... It, why does it work? Why does Kirby's insane <laughs> designs, which, let's be honest, look at Galactus, 
Take him out of context. He's as mad as a bag of cats. Yeah. That design. Why does it work? Why do we love it? Comics. Excellent answer. Comics is the only medium where you can have crazy designs that should not work and they work, which is why they don't work on screen. Well, to be fair, they've not given us a decent Galactus on screen. They gave us a big cloud. That's true, but would a big giant shorts and t-shirt purple and blue galaxies just as silly as a big lightning cloud I'm selling you dude we live in a world where they have pulled off the helicarrier right a talking tree right a raccoon with a gun yeah and Ant-Man but they've all been designed to work on screen can Galactus work on screen and still have that same threat level I don't know but I'd love them to try (laughs) Not these guys who've currently got yeah, all yeah, of okay. the Fantastic Four rights. I would love Marvel to have a crack at this mm. and try it. In fact, we were having a conversation on Facebook, actually. Ben Rush came up with a really good idea. Right. You do Fantastic Four, right? Okay. Get Marvel gets the rights back, which right. is a big buy. That, yeah. That is if your first major. Yeah, if that's going to happen. You do a Fantastic Four film set in 1962. Yeah, okay. The end of the film, either Doctor Doom's time platform or Big Battle or they fall through a black hole or whatever... Right. And the film ends with them coming out of the black hole or coming out of the time platform and they're like, wait a minute, 2015 was 50 years gone. And you've instantly explained where they've been for the past bit, well, they've not been mentioned. Right. But you've also got that they were the first. So you can retroactively implant them as being the first family. You're not trending on Captain America ground, though. Not if they're, they're not in suspended animation. They go through the hole, they come out of the hole. As far as they're concerned, they've only been gone for five minutes. Okay. But when they come back, this is all Ben's idea, so Ben gets credit for this. Right. But when they come back, 50 years has passed and they're not sure of it. And then you just have Tony Stark go, read Richards. Okay. My dad talked about you. So that kind of thing. And it works. Yeah. And then do Galactus. Okay. After you've done Thanos. So you'd have all the Avengers fighting Galactus. Yeah. No, no, screw the Avengers. They kind of have to. No. Where were the Avengers in the Fantastic Four 48? They weren't there. Why? Because it's a Fantastic Four comic, not an Avengers comic. This is really bugging me about the Marvel films. When in Iron Man 3, they're like, well, where's Thor? He's in Asgard. The film isn't called Iron Man and Thor. Yeah, but where are the Avengers situated? Where's the Fantastic Four situated? Iron Man's in LA. All the films are connected. Yeah, but they were busy. So, what's... Uh, okay, so... Right. What's Ultron's happening? What, what's the so embroidered in the Civil War, the, the ignorance yeah, of well, But Ultron, Ultron came about to affect the Avengers. He attacked Tony Stark. Yeah, okay. So, so let's say that the, all the Avengers are off fighting Ultron and the Hovering Army. So if Thor's doing that's, Ragnarok... That's when... That's why he's not in Civil has, War. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he is in Civil War or not. Everyone else seems to be in Civil War. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. You get a film that's got them all in, but it's called Captain America Civil War. <laughs> okay. Instead of Avengers 3. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, um, the, I think the art's really good. A lot of good splash pages. As Michael says, some of the engine is a bit heavy in places, but I like it. I think it's great. I do like Orion fighting the Silver Surfer. No matter how brief it is. It is very brief I because... I thought it was such a great Orion scene from to charge in all big-headed and then just be thrown down to the ground. <laughs> and the surfer just owns it. Within two panels. Yeah. Well, the surfer's got the power cosmic. Yeah. The surfer... Would Orion be a match for the Silver Surfer? Evidently not. Yeah. Based on this comic. But he, he, is, he doesn't back down. No, and the surfer kills him. Yeah. The surfer pretty much kills Orion. The Black Racer, Orion. Shows, the up. Black Racer shows up. Yeah. Because the Silver Surfer killed him. On his little skis. 
Now, you see, he, he is a, a design that I don't know I can get behind. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I can buy the surfer. Yeah. The skier, maybe not. See, whilst Galactus was on his summer vacation, uh, <laughs> Black Race has just been on his, his, his winter skiing vacation. winter skiing trip, and he's still on it. What, how, why did Darkseid just have a big device that could give the Silver Surfer his memories back? I, I don't know. Why, just why, had that lying around. Why wouldn't you? Okay. I love, though, that Darkseid sends Desaad to do it. Yeah. Do it himself. Do it. Of course not. <laughs> Doesn't muddy his own hands. Because <laughs> that's Darkseid, isn't it? Um, very lesser uh, Black Racer. I think the Black Racer's pretty cool. Do you? Done by Kirby. He's not bad here. But he, he doesn't look as cool as the Silver Surfer, does his, he? His Final Crisis redesign was a lot better. Was it? Yeah. Is he just not as colourful? He's No, he's in full armour and grey. I mean, he's still wearing his skates. Yeah, well, you do wonder why he's called the Black Racer when he doesn't wear black. Unless it's just... Because it's his skin tone. Oh, right. Oh, dear. <laughs> Kirby was never subtle. I mean, he had two characters named Black because they were black. Right, okay. Well, that's a bit uncomfortable. You asked. I, I was going, is he called Black Racer because death, black, go into the light, that kind of yeah. thing? No, when when you're in the fourth world and you've got two characters named after the skin colour, it's not right. a case of uh, why they called that anymore. Oh, right, I wish I hadn't asked that now. <laughs> I, I like Mother Box. Ping, 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 ping. Yeah. Which is quite nice. And, uh, yeah, it's, it all... And that it. cool page of Darkseid shooting Galactus with the... With the... Beams. The, 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 the Omega beams? Yeah. And you get that, that cool thing they do around the panels that intensify it, mm. but he's done it inside Galactus's shape. Yeah, and I do like as well that once Ap- Apocalypse, once Darkseid has done that, Galactus is still there. Mm. And Galactus is like, you pitiful fool. And he just bats Darkseid yeah, yeah. away. Darkseid and the new gods get owned in this story. Pretty much. Don't they? This isn't one of those who would win in a fight between... It's a, this is who would be massacred less. Yeah. It's it's kind of a, we know who won, but because it's a, a two companies agreeing to do this, yeah. we can't have a death. It is, it is quite remarkable, because if you look at the Superman Spider-Man ones and the Batman Hulk ones, they go out of the way to make sure everything's even. Yeah. No one wins, no one loses, it's all very evenly matched and all of that stuff. No such thing here. Galactus owns Darkseid, the Silver Surfer kills Orion. And, well, the only reason there are no definitive winners is the whole life force in the planet thing. Yeah, Galactus would have eaten Apocalypse here. Oh, yeah. If not for the, the Twilight Zone O Henry end, ending, where Galactus... Galactus's machine is finished, he brings it down, he starts it running to consume the energies, and then it just goes... Apple's crashed. Yeah. <laughs> Windows 10 has died. <laughs> yeah. And now you've got to reboot your computer. Mm-hmm. And Galactus is like, what? 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 <laughs> he does his best David Tennant impression. Okay. And then Darkseid's all like, oh yeah, did I not mention? No life energy! <laughs> Suck on it! Line. Yes! <laughs> Oh, stupid of me. So, yeah, that's kind of like, if Darkseid was like, oh yeah, no life force energy, why did he bother fighting him in the first place? Well, that's what he actually asks him, isn't he? And and Darkseid's just very, I wanted to get your measure. Yeah. Both of us are bigger than life, there's more to us than people think. I wanted to get your measure and almost die in the process. Oh, that's Darkseid, isn't it? It's It's just, you know... Uh, a lesser-known but highly entertaining Marvel-DC crossover. If we're being honest, 
there isn't really a lot to this beyond the ingenious premise. Yeah. But it's well told, a tad flowery in places. It benefits from being a Galactus story rather than a Fantastic Four one. Although the FF may have made it feel a bit more substantial, but the flip side of that, thinking about it, they probably would have just stood around with the mouse on, wouldn't they? Yeah. Going, oh, Apocalypse! Oh, it would have been on New Genesis, yeah. commentating it with the new gods. Yeah, just telling the new gods what was going on. So, yeah. all right, you're probably better just not having them, them uh, be a part of it. It's, it's, oh, it is a good read, though. Yeah. It's an absolutely fantastic read. Well worth picking up if you find it for cheap. Because I don't think this retails for hugely expensive on the back issue market. I certainly don't think you'd be paying the $5 for it that you paid originally at this point. I bet you can get this for cheap. Well worth it. Um, I only picked it because Michael loves a bit of Dark Side. Okay. And I thought it would be interesting. Because you've read that before. Have you no. never read that? I thought that may be fun to cover before we, we call it a day. Mm. And uh, it was. I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. It's a very simple premise, but it's a fun one. Yeah. And unlike a lot of Marvel DC crossovers, like we've said, there is a definitive winner. Yes. We just don't see him win, really. Team Galactus. All the way. All right. That's it. We're done. It's another episode. It's over. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, we will be looking at Warren Ellis's planetary team-ups between the Authority and the Justice League of America, which you like a lot. Of them. Yeah. Oh well, one of them. I think. One of them. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Goodbye. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. the meteor shower last night. I didn't. It was awesome. I didn't know there was one until this morning. It was absolutely awesome. We went down to the field and watched it. You could see it with the naked eye. It was brilliant. Even your mum and your sister, who were both like massive geek for me to wanting to go watch it, were thoroughly enjoying it. Right, no, I didn't know it was until this morning. Really good. Really enjoyed it. I was a bit messed.